Hi, my name is Dominic Graziano, and I'm on media staff. You're listening to week eight of the Falls Creek podcast. The speaker this week was Ed Newton. You help me in saying thank you to this band for leading us in worship all week long. Grateful for them. Continue to support their ministry as they continue to crisscross across the country telling people about Jesus through their music. Falls Creek Week 8, last service, last one, best one. And as we talk about this idea of mystery, we've walked through several passages of scripture that have dealt with, that is, the mystery men who delivered the paralytic, the mystery condition, the mystery interruption. And then last night we talked about, that is, that mystery reaction. That is, when God begins to deal with us about our junk, why is our tendency to hide and cover versus confess? But tonight I want to share a message simply entitled, The Mystery Day. The Mystery Day. You say, Ed, what are you talking about, Mystery Day? There is a day in which Jesus Christ will come to remove the body of Christ from this earth. The conversation for thousands of years has revolved around whether this return of Christ is a two-part event, whether that is the rapture and then the second coming, or if it's just the second coming. However, our goal tonight is not to somehow, someway join into the debate and the discussion of whether or not the return of Christ is a two-part event or a singular event, but instead could we just agree on a couple things tonight. One Jesus is coming again. Can we agree on that? So I want you to take your Bibles. If you got a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And I'm going to ask that you would just bear with me tonight. There's going to be a lot of scripture that I'm going to use. There are five agreeable statements based upon the authority of God's word that we can know concerning that is the mysterious return of Jesus. There are two mysteries that you need to know. Number one, we do not know when we're going to die. The Bible says that life's like a vapor here for a moment, then gone. Hebrews 9.27 says that it's appointed unto man to die once, then face the judgment. So we do not know when we're going to die. The second thing we do not know is when Jesus himself will return. Which means, since we do not know when we're going to die and when Jesus is going to come back, the goal is not to look busy, but the goal is to be ready. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house tonight? That's the goal. The goal is not to look bu- busy. The goal is to be ready. Here's the reason why. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. Come on. Can I get a witness from somebody in the house? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. And as we talk about this mysterious day, that is, as we bring this week of camp to a grand closure, a grand crescendo, That is, we talk about this mysterious day. Now, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 says this. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, one of the things that you need to know is that there are three, or excuse me, two major sections of Scripture that deal with the return of Christ. Let me just read this to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 would say, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
so we will always be with the Lord. Now understand Revelation 19 gives us a different perspective, which is the reason why many would say this is a two-part event, or some would even say it's speaking about the same thing just from a different angle. But listen to Revelation 19. I think it's a different event. It says, Then I saw heaven opened up, behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and the righteous, that is in righteousness, he judges and makes war. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the body of Christ being lifted from the earth. Revelation 19 says the body of Christ coming from the heavens to the earth to make war. Therefore, we have to understand something that as we look to this particular conversation in regards to the mystery of the return of Jesus, you need to know this. Now, I want you to look at me. Come on, middle school students and high school students. I will never dumb down the Bible to you. You need me to hear just that to be echoed to you. This message I've shared with adults, I will not talk to you any differently. I believe that you can handle more than oftentimes we give you credit for. I believe that you got the Holy Spirit that's in you, the same Holy Spirit that's in me, which means you got the greatest professor in the world inside of you, giving you revelation to what's happening. Can I just say this to the adults in the room? Let's stop dumbing down the Bible to these teenagers. They can handle. Listen, they're studying chemistry and trigonometry and all these other things. And somehow, someway, we just dumb down the Bible to them. we got to stop dumbing down the Bible to them. When we talk about, and I'm not trying to jump up on a soapbox, but let me just say this real quickly. We will continue to perpetuate biblical illiteracy if we don't teach students the deep things of God's Word. They can handle more than we give them credit for. Come on, can I get an amen? Amen. Back to the task. But one of the things that you need to know is that the church of Jesus Christ starts missing after Revelation chapter 3, which means from Revelation 1, 2, and 3, it's a lot of messages in regards to the church, but then after Revelation 3, you don't hear anymore about the church. The church goes missing. Therefore, in regards to a removal, some would call that the rapture, that is to be lifted, or the return of Christ, bringing the body of Christ to heaven. But we have to agree on a couple of things. I'm going to give you some statements to write down. Matter of fact, five to be specific. Y'all with me? It's going to be a lot of information, but I believe you can handle this tonight. Number one, I want you to write this down. His return, that is the mystery day of Jesus, his return was clearly stated. It was clearly stated. His return was clearly stated. I want to give you a Bible verse. John 14 verse, verse 3 says this. I, Jesus says this, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. There was 1,800 Old Testament prophecies in the Old Testament specifically pointing to the return of Christ. 23 out of 27 of the New Testament books of the Bible speak to the return of Christ. That gives us 300 prophecies in the New Testament that Jesus is coming again. But what you need to know underneath point number one in regards to his return was clearly stated by Jesus. Jesus, by the way, would never lie. He is the way, the truth. And because he's the truth, when he said, I'm coming again, I just want you to understand he's coming again. When he said it, he meant it. And he's going to keep his promise. The difficulty for us is we don't know when that day is. Many of us are asking the question, could it even happen today? You say, Ed, do you believe it could happen today? Absolutely, I believe it could happen today. I believe that his return is very near. I believe his return is soon, and therefore we got to be ready. But when we think about his return being clearly stated, you need to know a couple of things. Letter A, if you'll write this down underneath point number one, it will be public. It will be public. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see. 
If you believe in a rapture, only Christians will see. If you believe in a second coming, and that is you don't believe in a rapture, I'm speaking to both groups here, then you'll understand that that second coming, the whole world will see. But we can agree on this, that it will be in public view, that we will see his return. Not only will it be public, but it will also be personal. Acts chapter 1 verse 11, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way in which you saw him go into heaven. Acts 1 verse 11 says that, which by the way I get geeked out about stuff like that. That Jesus could have sent an angel to come get us, but I love our Jesus. He comes for us personally. Can I get a witness from somebody in the house tonight? He could have sent somebody else to come get us, but he goes, no, I'll go get them. They're mine. I'll go get them. So not only will it be public, but it will also be personal, and it also will be purposeful. Listen to this, Matthew 16, 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Not only will the return of Jesus be public, the return of Jesus will be personal, and Jesus isn't coming just to hang out. He did that when he came to this earth. But when he returns, he's got some unfinished business, and that is to remove the church from the earth, but also to bring about judgment. Therefore, a principle I want you to write down, if you still got some space underneath point number one. Point number one, once more, his return was clearly stated. It'll be public, it'll be personal, and it'll be purposeful. So what's our principle that we got to hang on to according to point number one? We live hopefully. We live hopefully. Not hopefully like I hope or I wish, but instead we live with hope because Jesus is hope. Hope's got a name, and his name is Jesus. And if Jesus said, I'm coming again, you could take it to the bank. He's coming again. So we live with hope. Point number two, write this down. Not only do we see that his return was clearly stated. Number two, we see his return date is a secret. His return date is a secret. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. Listen to Mark 13, verse 32. It says, but concerning that day, that is the mystery day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, many would say that Jesus doesn't even know the date. However, when you look at Mark 13, verse 32, we understand that when Jesus was saying this, he was on the earth but as he's in heaven right now, understand he has obviously this information, but that date is a secret. Now I want you to listen to me. Y'all still sit, listen and say, yeah. yeah. When somebody gives you a date on the return of Jesus, there's one thing you can count on. That ain't the date. When somebody says Jesus is going to come back, I was literally with an individual a few days ago in another location who said this to me, Jesus is coming in 2029. I leaned over to my wife and I said, there's one thing we can count on for sure, Jesus ain't coming in 2029. Because that guy's telling us he knows the date. He's worked out some Bible code and he's revealed the date. Listen, no man knows the date. Now, do you know why we don't know the date? Here's the reason why we don't know the date. Because somehow, some way, we would demonstrate some type of procrastination. We would live our lives such in idleness or even in a lack of readiness. And so the fact that we don't know the date prevents idleness and promotes readiness. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. That is, because we don't know the date... It causes us to live in eager anticipation, waiting on the return of Jesus. But if we knew the date, 
Listen, I want to give you credit that you are people that would be living for Jesus every day with full commitment in your life if you knew the return date of Jesus. But most people would simply say this, I can do whatever I want to do as long as I can get ready before Jesus comes back. So you know why Jesus doesn't tell us the date? Because most of us would live that way. But Jesus finds greater honor, greater glory when his people, his sons, his daughters live as we are ready. So it prevents idleness and promotes readiness. Promotes readiness. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 that says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present day or age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, Savior, Jesus Christ. So what's the principle? Principle number one we got from point number one, live hopefully. Principle number two, underneath point number two is live ready. Live ready. Live ready. Now I'm giving you a lot of information, and I know you're tired and exhausted, and the fuel gauge is on E right now. And I want you to look at your neighbor right now. I want you to say this, I got your back. I want you to look at your other neighbor right now and go, I got your back. So if your neighbor checks out from point number two all the way to point number five, you have been called and commissioned by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to judo chop your neighbor in the throat for the glory of Jesus, right? Amen. So here we go. Let's lean in. Y'all still with me? Say amen. So point number three, write this down. Not only do we see his return date, or excuse me, his return was clearly stated. His return date is a secret but point number three, his return is predicted by signs. His return is predicted by signs. Now listen to Mark 13, verse 4. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? That was the question posed towards Jesus. What are the signs? Now as we begin to think about signs... Here's what you need to know. There are several things that the Scripture speaks to in regards to indicators that are revealing to us that we are living in a day and age in which Jesus can come back. Letter A, if you want to write this down, political unrest. Political unrest. Listen to Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Is that happening in our world today? Yes. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Is that happening in our day? Yes. It's political unrest. Here's a big word, I promise you, but there will not be a red squiggly line that appears on your page as you try to write this down. Not only is there political unrest, but pestilence unending. Pestilence unending. Matthew 24, verse 7 would say this, and there will be famines, famines, floods, fires, plagues. Are we hearing about those things in the news right now? The answer to that is yes. Letter C, there'll be powerful upheavals, not only political unrest, pestilence unending, powerful upheavals. Listen to the rest of Matthew 24, verse 7, and earthquakes in various places. Oklahoma, do you know anything about some earthquakes in your state? Earthquakes unending, that is in various places. Letter D, and tell me this is not true. Preaching is now becoming unbiblical. Let me pause to see if anybody's paying attention. Preaching becomes unbiblical. 
For the time is coming, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 would say, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Students, I want you to listen to me. The reason why I stand up here and say open your Bibles and I somehow, some way, as a fire hydrant try to give you God's word is because if you walk out of here and you walk out of here going, Ed's a cool speaker guy because he tells a bunch of stories and tags some verses to it, but you don't understand the verses, then somehow, some way, you've just been entertained. My goal is not to entertain you. My goal is to engage you. And to engage you with not my stories. Now, stories will illustrate principles, but it's God's word that changes people's lives. Stories just give understanding of God's word. But if I tell this massive story and then somehow throw a Bible verse on that, then you walk away remembering what? The story. But my prayer for you is that you would love God's word. Treasure God's word. And pastors and youth pastors, y'all in the room, I want y'all to listen to me. One of the things I've made a commitment as a Bible preacher is to be someone that would somehow affirm what you're doing weekly when you come to camp with Ed Newton. You say, Ed, what do you mean by that? Oftentimes, here's what will happen. We end up at youth camps and conferences and, and events, and we go, that guy's awesome. And sometimes as leaders, we go, that, that, that dude didn't even open his Bible. And somewhere in the midst of that, our teenagers are going, we like that guy. And that guy was awesome. And that guy's engaging and funny and all those things. And nothing wrong with that. But here's what I'm going to say to you. If God's word is the treasure of what we do, then one of the things I love about Falls Creek and everybody that stands on this stage is that we want to come alongside of youth pastors and pastors so that when people go back into their cabins, they'll go to Brother Johnny. Brother Johnny, Ed preaches just like you. Brother Steve, Ed preaches just like you. He gives us the word of God. That's what I love about Falls Creek. Everything that comes from this stage is saturated in God's word. But there is coming a day where for many of us, we don't want to hear God's word because God's word, listen to me. I meet people all the time that go, the Bible is filled with contradictions. It's easy to say that when the Bible contradicts your life. Can't say amen, you can say ouch. It's okay. I meet people all the time, the, the Bible's filled with contradictions. It's because the Bible tells them that the way they're living is not honorable. And so it's easier to just go, that Bible's just filled with a bunch of cruel commandments. No, the Bible's not filled with a book, uh, it's not a book filled with cruel commandments. It's a book filled with sweet solutions to life. Sweet solutions to life. But there's coming a day where preaching will be unbiblical. So there's political unrest, pestilence unending, powerful upheavals, preaching is unbiblical. And then there's a pursuit of unrighteousness. Tell me if this is not today. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 through 4 says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Hello. Ungrateful, unholy heartless, unappeasable, which means you can't find contentment, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, pursuit of unrighteousness. But not only is there political unrest as a sign, not only is there pestilence unending as a sign, not only is powerful upheavals as a sign, preaching is unbiblical is a sign, pursuit of unrighteousness is a sign, but persecution by unbelievers to 
Christians. That is, Luke 21, verse 17 says this, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Do you know this? There has been more martyrs, that is, people that have died for the name of Jesus in the 20th century than the first 19 centuries combined. It's only getting worse. Only getting worse. I've heard this question posed this way. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? That's a great question. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? But can I rephrase that question? If you were to wake up tomorrow, would you live for Jesus? And you wake up the next day, would you live for Jesus? And you wake up the next day after the next day after the next day, would you live for Jesus? And the reason why many people all of a sudden check out on Jesus is because they begin to no longer be invited to the parties. They get mocked and they get made fun of. But one of the things that you need to know is that when revival begins to take place, persecution is a part of the process. And we got to get to the place where we will not be ashamed of Jesus. At some level, you will be made fun of for being a Christian. At some level, you will be ostracized for calling yourself a Christian. But here's what's happening, and we're noticing this in America. Come on, church, pay attention. This ain't just me rambling. In our day right now, it's costlier more than ever to be a Christian in the United States of America. They've made fun of us, they've ridiculed us, they've marginalized us, and we are the brunt end of a lot of jokes. But in the process of all of that, here's what I need you to know. Our love has got to be loud, and we cannot back down. And I don't mean that we become hateful. I just believe we got to continue to link arms and know this. Jesus said it. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. So when you face persecution, don't you get discouraged. Instead, be encouraged because you're doing something right if you're being persecuted for the cause of Christ. Come on, we're preaching tonight. Not only to live hopefully, live ready, but that principle number three gives us, a, or point number three gives us another principle, live attentively. Live attentively. Point number four, we're almost done here. We'll see his return will be sudden. Point number one, his return will be clearly, was clearly stated. Number two, his return date is a secret. Point number three, his return will be predicted by signs. And point number four, his return will be sudden. You go, Ed, what do you mean by that? Now, when we track Santa Claus, NORAD lets us know like Santa's in Guatemala, and then all of a sudden he's on his way into North America. But that's not how it's going to work when Jesus comes. It's not like there's going to be a NORAD and we're tracking Jesus and Jesus is in South America and he's worked his way over to Asia and then he goes to the Middle East and all of a sudden we're going, okay, we can get ready. No, when Jesus comes, it will be sudden. It'll be sudden. It'll be a global universal reality. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51 and 52 says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. That's why we called it Mystery Day. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. What is that trumpet? First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says this, that Jesus is going to shout something. I don't know what Jesus is going to shout, but he's going to shout something. Maybe like, I'm coming! And the voice of the archangel will echo that. And then the trumpet will sound, and the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise. Now let me explain that. When we understand the dead in Christ, that is those people that have died. I mentioned this the other day. If I were to die, hopefully I'd be properly buried, but my body and my soul will be separated. My soul will go to heaven. My body 
will go into the earth. But when Christ comes again, the Bible speaking of 1 Corinthians 15, that twinkling of the, of the eye will exchange what's the corruptible for incorruptible, which means that my body will be reunited with my soul. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death. Now, some of you might be asking the question, what about my relative that was cremated? Can I just say this? If God can make somebody from dirt, he can bring them back to existence from dirt again. All right? Nothing too hard for, for God. Nothing too hard for God. But what you need to know is in regards to this particular bodily resurrection, we must recognize that God has tremendous value on our bodies. How will we recognize each other in heaven if we don't have a body? Now, we may be able to recognize each other in this eternal state, much like how Jesus was appearing to the disciples, but we would understand they would be able to touch him, know that it was him. I believe that we'll be able to recognize one another. I believe that we'll be able to recognize each other by our voices. And somewhere in the midst of that, we have to understand that the principle is when Jesus comes, it will happen like a flash. The Bible says in the twinkling of an eye. So therefore, the principle is not only to live hopefully, live ready, live attentively, but to live expectantly. Because when Jesus comes, listen to me, you won't have a moment to get ready. He will come suddenly. Point number five, we're almost done. Not only do we see that his return was clearly stated, number two, his return date is a secret. Number three, his return is predicted by signs. Number four, his return will be sudden. And point number five, his return, dun, 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 will forever defeat Satan. Come on, can we clap to that? His return will forever defeat Satan. Listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who has deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now I want you to listen to me. Now, this timing in regards to what's called the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, many have had immense discussion and debate on the timing of this. We're not going to speak about the timing in regards to the timeline of when the judgment seat of Christ happens or the great white throne judgment happens, but you need to know what they are and who they're for. That is, the judgment seat of Christ Oftentimes we hear the word judgment and we begin to freak out about that. But the judgment seat of Christ at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The judgment seat of Christ is not for unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ is for Christians. It's for Christians. But I got good news for you. There will be no movie screen that drops down and all your sin, all your shame, all your scandals and all your sorrow will not be replayed on a screen as a highlight reel of our ignorance and our immorality. Here's the reason why. Because Jesus Christ defeated sin, death, and hell once and for all. And therefore, if anyone's in Christ, 
He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Romans 8.1 would say there is no condemnation to those who are in, in Jesus Christ. Revelation 12.10 would say this, the enemy accuses us day and night. But I love what Revelation 12 verse 11 says, the enemy has been conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony. Which means the judgment seat of Christ is the distribution of rewards. Distribution of rewards. But the great white throne judgment is not for Christians. It's for unbelievers. Revelation 12, excuse me, Revelation 20 verse 11 says this, And I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them speaks about the great white throne judgment Matthew 7 would say this that there'll be a day in Matthew 7 that Jesus gives more clarification to Revelation 20 where Jesus would say depart from me I never knew you so Philippians 2 9 where the Bible says therefore God has highly exalted him given him the name that's above every name every name and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Unbelievers will have to bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But instead of welcome home, thy good and faithful servant, instead they'll hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the great white throne judgment. Now, I would not be a faithful Bible preacher if I didn't tell you the bad news. But tonight there's good news. Because as we look at this particular theme this whole week in regards to mystery... And we've used this idea of different puzzle pieces. If I had a giant puzzle, but yet there was one piece missing. The work of Jesus Christ upon the cross is mighty to save. The fact that he has come back from the dead allows us to know that we have been called to live in victory. But the last puzzle piece of his grand and majestic and marvelous plan is the return of Jesus Christ himself. That is the last mysterious piece. Now let me tell you why I'm doing this. This past Thanksgiving, we had our whole family at our house. I mean, it was filled with multiple people in our home. My wife got this puzzle for our family to engage in that would take up the whole kitchen table and all week long, my cousins, I mean, excuse me, my nieces, my, my, my kids' cousins, and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, that would be their aunts and uncles. So here we were all around the table, and they were working on that puzzle. And while they were not looking, I walked by that particular kitchen table, and I just pulled one puzzle piece off, put it in my pocket. That was at the beginning of the week. And as they continued to bring this puzzle to a final moment, all of a sudden, I heard a shout and a scream from the kitchen. Who's got the last puzzle piece? I said nothing. They continued to look around the house. My man Lawson took a lot of the blame for a couple of days, but he had nothing to do with it. My daughters began to take some blame for it. My nieces began to take blame for it. My wife took blame for it, but I said nothing. And finally, on the last day, I was about to go to work, and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were just getting up. It was about 7 a.m., and they just came out of the bedroom, and I reached in my pocket, and I grabbed 
that puzzle piece and I said this is what you've been looking for all week they said Ed are you telling me you've had that the whole week I was like yeah They're like you're the biggest jerk on the planet and I was like I love you God bless you and I hope Jesus prospers your ministry but it was at that moment that all of a sudden they went downstairs and put that puzzle piece there but can I just say this to you Jesus is not keeping back this final puzzle piece because he's trying to play a joke on anybody you know why Jesus is holding back this puzzle piece because could it be that there are people here on this earth that he's wanting to become sons and daughters in the family of God and he is waiting so patiently for maybe even somebody in this room tonight to give their life to Jesus so there's two realities we have to think about. One, Jesus is so patient that even now he's inviting people to himself because when he comes with that final piece, it's too late. It's too late. Meanwhile, as followers of Jesus, in this final puzzle piece has not been laid down, we have been called and commissioned to tell the whole world about Jesus. There are nearly two billion people that have never heard about Jesus. Meanwhile, the call for us is to go because we never know when that last puzzle piece will be laid down. But as we wait before this last puzzle piece to lay down, I believe there are people in this room, and I want heads up and eyes open. I want to do something a little bit different tonight. Heads up, eyes open. I want you to look at me. If you're saying, Ed, if I were to die tonight, and I don't speak that over your life, but if that were to happen, if you were to die tonight or Jesus were to come back, how many of you would go, Ed, I don't know for sure if I'm going to heaven. I don't know. Now, heads up, eyes open. Look at me. We've spent a whole week together. Don't you care about what anybody thinks? Here's the reason why. Eternity is too long to be wrong. Eternity is way too long to be wrong. And I believe right now, right now, I believe the Spirit of God through the Word of God is convicting people. And I want heads up, eyes open. Could you be man enough and woman enough right here in this room to go, listen, if Jesus were to come back, if you were to lay down that final puzzle piece, I don't know if he's coming for me. I don't know. How many of you would just be completely honest about that and go, Ed, I'll, I'll just be honest. I don't know for sure if he's coming for me. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Raise your hand. I don't know. Now, for those of you that raised your hand, first of all, thank you for your courage. But I want you to put your hands down. I want to talk to you that raised your hand. If there's never been a time in your life that you've invited Jesus Christ in your life, I'm going to pray that God will give you courage. You'll leave your seat in just a moment, and you will come and give your life to Jesus. But for some of you, here's what's happening. For some of you, you're going, I've done that before, but you made some mistakes along the way, and you think that Jesus leaves you because you make a mistake. That's not my Jesus. When my Jesus moves in, he doesn't move out. There's nothing you could ever do that will make Jesus let go of you. Nothing you, you could ever do. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future could ever separate you from the love of God. But I believe right in this moment, for some of you, you're going, Ed, thank you for that word of encouragement. But for some of you, here's what you're saying. I believe in Jesus, and I want to speak this into your life. So do the demons. Demons believe in Jesus, but they don't follow. Has there been a time in your life where you made a decision to go, I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I want to follow him? 
I, I meet people all the time that go, I've been baptized, I'm a church member, the good outweighs the bad. Come on, look at me, young people. That idea of the good outweighing the bad, because there's bad on the scale, do you realize that Revelation 21, 26, and 27 says nothing unclean gets into heaven? So if the good outweighs the bad, hey, kudos to you. Awesome, bro. But can I just say this to you? Because there's bad on the scale, you can't get into heaven. Even though the good outweighs the bad, because there's bad on the scale, you can't get into heaven. But once you keep looking at me, notice this hand motion. But when Jesus came to this earth and suffered and died for our sin, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus came and stood in our place, tipping the scales in our favor, allowing us to be forgiven and made righteous and holy. He's the only way we can get to heaven. Now, come on. Tonight, I believe. Now, listen to me. I know for many of you, youth, your youth groups, some of you have already packed up your stuff and you're ready to leave. Don't you leave during this invitation. I see it happen. Many, I've been here 11 summers and I watch it happen every summer. Don't you leave during this invitation. I believe right now in this moment, this is life and death for somebody. And we can't walk out while people are making decisions about Jesus tonight. So as we stand in this moment, a holy moment, I believe for some of you, you need to put your pride aside. Somehow, someway, you've been trusting in religion, but I pray that you will repent of your religion and you'll come to Jesus tonight. I believe some of you need to settle this issue once and for all. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, but I'm here to stand in front of you and go, listen to me. God has given us a word tonight. And we got to respond, not out of fear, but out of faith that Jesus has given us all this so that we can know that when our life comes to an end or whether he comes back, I'm ready because my faith and trust is in Jesus. Come on, let's stand together. And as we stand, heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. I'm going to pray for those of you that raise your hand going, I don't know. I don't know. You can know. 1 John 5 says this, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Tonight, students, I want you to listen to me. Tonight, you need to come to Jesus. If you are going, I need to make that decision. You put your pride aside. Don't you care about what anybody thinks. I'm going to pray that God will give you courage and you step out from your seat and you walk down that aisle. And I want you to meet me right here at the front. So, Lord Jesus, I pray for a move of your spirit in such a powerful way. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you gave it to us. Thank you that you give revelation to us. And I pray right now in Jesus' name for my brothers and sisters. God, you know how much I love these students. God, I have so enjoyed my time hanging out with them. God, they've been so gracious to me, so kind to me. They've, they've been so encouraging to me. All these students I got to hang out with. God, what a gift and a blessing this is. But God, I pray that we, they would understand that this was more than just a week of camp. This is a journey with Jesus for the rest of their life. And so I, I just pray tonight, call people to yourself. May they receive you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, I need you to leave your seat. Come meet me right here at the front. Come on. Thanks for listening. 